like most eight-year-old boys, I wanted to be Batman when I grew up. And it was several years later before I realized that the pow, zap, zowie kind of violence that I was seeing on TV was a long way away from real life. Now, about that same time, I decided I wanted to be a writer. My aunt, who was a librarian at the time, had given me a signed copy of the Wilson Rawls novel, Where the Red Fern Grows. And I had taken it in to my third grade teacher, Miss Whitehead, and asked her to read it to the class. Now, I had a crush on Miss Whitehead. And so I sat on the front row with my chin on my desk and just gazed at her longing like eight-year-old boys do when they're in love with their teachers. Now, I don't want to wreck the book for you if you haven't read it, but when Miss Whitehead got to the part where little Anne, the dog, one of the dogs, dies, she began to weep. And she wept so bitterly that she couldn't speak anymore. And she had to close the book and walk out of the room. And I thought, wow, words have power. Words move people. I want to do that. And so right then and there, I pushed the Batman idea to the back burner, and I said, I'm going to be a writer. And after a few years, as I got older, I learned that maybe I could do both. I learned <laughs> that there were actually jobs where you could put on a utility belt and a costume and be a crime fighter. I could be policeman. And so that's what I did for about 30 years. Now, I'm retired now, and I write thriller novels full time. And they have a certain amount of violence. Admittedly, I put some pow, zap, zowie kind of fights in the books. But I try to keep them realistic. When I was about 24 years old, I was involved in a real fight the kind of fight that really has more in common with a car wreck than any kind of a boxing match. The kind of fight where somebody wants to kill me. So I was dispatched to a disturbance in a courtroom uh, at the courthouse where there was a half-naked guy, let's just say being indecent in the back of the courtroom. And so because of a miscommunication, the, they thought that there was another officer from another jurisdiction there, and so they didn't dispatch any other backup. Well, that didn't bother me. I had recognized the guy's name. I'd arrested him a couple of times before, and he never had given me any problem. So by the time I got there into the courtroom, all the, the people, the spectators, had flowed out into the hallway, and I walked into the courtroom itself just in time to see the judge and the bailiff duck out into the, the judge's chambers through that door. So that left me alone with half-naked guy on the back row, who was still half-naked. And, of course, being alone, even then, I really wasn't worried because he hadn't given me any problem before. And even if he did fight, I fancied myself a pretty good martial artist at the time. I had taken Aikido in Japan, I'd studied, I had been in a, you know, I had two years, whole years of experience on the police force, and so I had been in some fights already. So I figured that I could handle a guy with his pants around his knees. <laughs> well, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the beak. So I kind of let my guard down, and I got a little too close. And I said, hey, come with me, call him by name, pull your britches up, come with me, we need to talk. And I glanced away at where the bailiff had gone, just long enough that he tagged me in the face. Well, angry and upset, instead of backing away and creating some distance like I should have, I 
plowed the guy to the ground. And we went right down in between those two skinny little rows on the back of the, the like pews in a church. Now, I still wasn't concerned because I had been trained. Like I said, I had two years of experience. Unfortunately, my training did not teach me anything about fighting in that tiny little confines like that. So we rolled around on the ground with us both trying to get the upper hand, and we ended up wedged underneath that front pew. <laughs> now, when we landed, my left arm was around the bad guy's neck. My right hand, wedged underneath the front pew, was up by our faces, and our foreheads were touching, you know, kind of arched like this. <laughs> and I had landed on his arm, but his other arm trailed down by my waist, right next to my gun. So I, well, I'd like to say I yelled at him, but I probably screamed in a very high-pitched voice for him to stop, to stop resisting and to turn over. And in a very calm voice, he told me he was going to kill me. Now I could feel him reaching down for the gun, and I arched my hip up to try to trap my holster against the wood on the bottom of the, the uh, bench and kind of try to stop him. And that same bench, it kept me from really getting any, any distance to hit him to try to stop him from taking my gun. So all I could do is really shove his head to the ground. Well, this went on forever in a sort of endless loop where he would say, I'm going to kill you. And I'd say, stop fighting. And then we'd struggle a little bit and then clutch each other <laughs> and try to catch our breaths. Now, they say when you're in a life or death situation that millions of things might go through your mind. All I can think of was, this SOB is going to take my gun and kill me with it. Now, I could feel him, and he, he kind of wrapped his finger around, wrapped his fingers around the, the, the handle of my pistol. And so I arched my body up as best I could to try to crush his fingers between the bottom, and it didn't do any good. Now, I'm pretty panicked right now and pretty near muscle failure. So I grabbed his head, and I tried to slam it against the, the carpet. And when I did, it didn't do any good. It didn't stop him. But when I did, my thumb slid across something soft on his face, and I realized that it was his eye. Now, I learned two important things in the next couple of seconds. I learned that if you jam your thumb up to the knuckle in somebody's eye, they very likely might throw up. which he did, <laughs> inches from my face. Now, the second thing I learned is that I am a sympathetic vomiter. <laughs> and so we lay there, clenched, with our foreheads touching, throwing up back and forth on each other. Now, it didn't take very long. It didn't take very long at all for him to give up. And I was able to roll him over, and about that time, backup officers started to pour into the courtroom. <laughs> and they peeled me off of this guy, and they handcuffed him because I couldn't even stand up. Radio logs show that from the time I arrived in my car on scene until the time backup officers arrived was seven minutes. Six times longer than in any other fight I'd been in or have been in since. I ended up sore with a jaw that was knocked out of place, a ruined uniform, and wounded pride because of my bad tactics. He was hurt pretty bad, and he ended up having a couple of surgeries trying to repair his eye. In the end, 
He was able to keep his sight. But I'm pretty sure that neither of us looked at life the same way again. Thank you.